0: All right, everybody, we're going to get started. Go ahead and grab a slice of pizza, grab a drink, and grab a seat. So glad that you're here. We're going to get started with Theology on Tap tonight. Uh, My name is Justin Hare. I'm one of the priests at St. Philip's Church. And normally I'm accompanied by my friend Brian McGreevy, but he is on vacation for the whole month of August. You want to take a guess where he is? Yeah, it's definitely France. Now, I think he's somewhere (laughs) in like a river in Germany or something like that, so... um, yeah, he's having a blast, as France, you can imagine. Yeah. Is he still in France? I don't know. Yeah, the same thing, whatever. He's over in Europe, but uh I'm delighted to have my good friend Chris Walcheski join us tonight. Chris is the uh organist and choir master at St. Philip's Church, and he actually started the exact same day that I started at St. Philip's, which is really interesting. But uh, if you are new, we're so glad that you are here. We have tattoos about that. Do we have matching tattoos on that? (laughs) That's the coolest Anglican thing ever. Uh, We're glad that you're here. If this is your first time, you'll see these little sheets of paper around the room. You'll need those because the way this works is we'll have a topic tonight. We're going to talk about uh, one of those topics, and then we'll open it up to Q&A. It doesn't have to relate to the topic at all tonight. You can ask anything you want, we will do our best and answering it as uh, briefly and succinctly as possible. Um, and just, uh, you know, we, we're both at St. Phillips. Brian's at St. Phillips. You don't have to be at St. Phillips. We get a number of folks who come here who don't go to any church, and that's great. Um, so we're delighted that you have taken some time out of your Tuesday to join us. Just a couple of announcements that you'll see. If you want to stay in touch with us in terms of Theology on Tap, we send out reminders via email about every two weeks right before Theology on Tap. You can join that email list. That's on the bottom left. Uh, we just started, and I think, uh, Victoria, you are here. Go ahead, Whip. she's on the steps. Hello. Uh, we started, we had a number of folks who were anxious to have more opportunities to connect with young adults outside of this time. We meet every other Tuesday for Theology on Tap. And so we started last week, a, um, essentially a fellowship time on the off weeks of Theology on Tap. And so we've called that Holy City Life, and you can join that group me right here on the bottom right. And the next one will be next Thursday, the 17th, at 7 p.m. Do we have a, a location for that? At 194 TRAD. At 194 TRAD. That's going to be great. Uh, so join that group me, and if you're looking to hang out with folks from Theology on Tap or elsewhere, it's another opportunity just to make more friendships, go deeper in other friendships uh, outside of Theology on Tap. So. Tonight, we kind of had this uh, conglomerate of a topic where uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the whole self-help thing, but then what does Christianity have to say to that? And then especially trying to focus in, since Chris is the director of music and choir master at St. Philip's, really kind of get his perspective on what's actually going on on Sundays, what, theologically speaking, it is really happening when we gather together
1: for worship so
0: that may be like a lot and so let's just start with this um self-help i mean that's kind of an interesting uh all the material podcasts uh audio books books that i guess people still buy books these days but when you think about um you know personal development right uh self-improvement it's actually the, the demographic who is most buying these things are folks under 35. so if you think about like career development money management Um, relational health, uh, dealing with stress, all these things, fitness, exercise, diet, all of that, right, would fall under the category, I think, of self-help. And so one of the things we wanted to at least touch on tonight is what does Christianity have to say, if if anything, to that whole niche of things? Um, And so I'm going to throw you in right here off the deep end. What what does Christianity have to say at all about, about these topics?
1: I mean, that's just such an easy place to start, does don't you think? <laughs> this is right at your job description. Yeah. It was. Can you hear me in the back? No. One, two, one, two, one, yeah. two, one, two. Chris is able there to we go. do our there sound, sound <laughs> and speak at the but same time. But see, the time. thing is we're going for is that you can hear me, but you don't hear me in the fishbowl, because that's not great. <laughs> How about that? Ross, do you hear me? I can hear you. Cool. Cool. Beautiful. So what, what <laughs> from so, the perspective of Christianity, Christi- self-help? is Christianity
0: pro-self-help? Is it anti-self-help, somewhere in between? What, what would you say? Well, uh,
1: that's, that's such a large question. So yeah. what, what is the goal of the Christian that wants to help themselves, I guess? And so I would think from my perspective, as a person with a Christian worldview, as opposed to just someone in the secular world, is that the ultimate goal here is to conform myself, my life, to the image of Christ. I think maybe the counter to that is things of tangible uh, measurement, like wealth, success, um, the things that the American dream happens to be, I'm successful in life and I can provide for my family and all those things, but I mean I think to just take that and to pack it down to a smaller level is that I'm a Christian and so I view these things from a temporal lens. And so I'm living in this world knowing that this is a time and that Christ has prepared us for something much larger and much, much bigger than that. And so we're preparing ourselves to that ultimate reality. And so I think in this time, our it's best spent conforming ourselves to him. And so sometimes that means forsaking the things of the world. And so just kind of answering your question is that I think if we answer, we might get two opposites. So, money is great, success is great, but all of those things are not what we find in the Bible, right?
0: Not when you look at Jesus, exactly. No, you're no, no. Right. Anyway, I think that's a pretty good answer, right? I mean, you're looking at the idea of, um, you know, how do you define self-help as something you're gonna have to, To answer, uh, do you want to better yourself? Where you you have to answer the question, what am I for? What's the purpose? This is why we talk about meaning, purpose so much at theology on tap. Is what's the goal of your life? What's the goal of your existence? And working towards that, trying to develop yourself into that, is in fact a good thing, right? But so often, and even within the church, you can hear what's called the prosperity gospel. Yeah, maybe, which is the idea that if you're truly living the Christian life, then God's going to bless you with with health and uh, wealth and status and all these things. But then, as I said, like, you look at Jesus, and he was homeless. He had, uh, yes, he had some friendships, right? The, the disciples and, and whatnot, but um, he was certainly not wealthy, was of very little reputation for most of the world. So I think you pretty much um, avoided the two errors, right? With that very loaded question of like, um, is Christianity for self-help or is it not? It's, well, yes, it's, it's, the question is, what is the goal of it, right? And if the goal of life, I love what, um, the Westminster Larger Catechism says, the chief end of man, you, did I say this last time, maybe? No, uh, no. no, okay. No. This is the most wonderful
1: yeah. question and answer, I think, in Christendom. All right, it's wonderful. Do
0: it. So, what's the chief end of man is to know God and glorify him forever. You want to, you want an answer to what you're made for, what's your life all about, what's, What should you work for in your self-help, if you could say it? Um, You should work to know God and glorify him, to make much of him in your life. That's the purpose, right? And so there's a sense um, that Christianity is probably the most uh, pro-your development and progress of any sort of ideology or worldview out there. But the question always hinges on, what are you working towards? Are you working to make much of yourself? or make much of God, because it's actually in this relationship with God that you find the joy, you find the peace, you find your purpose and meaning in life. Um, we we could talk a little theology, since this is theology on tap. Um, one of the problems, right, of, uh, you know, self-help is the premise that we can do something about our current state, right? Christianity has something radically... Uh, in opposition to that notion that, that you can fix yourself, uh, what would what would maybe the Christian faith push back on in this notion that you can fix yourself in your life? Well, I
1: mean, if if our topic is self help, I mean, we're we've already cut at the theme of tonight is that I think if, if we take ourselves in our context as 21st century Americans, we have you know this understanding of we can make this. There's, be, everyone heard of the, the American dream, you know. I can live a more productive, a more prosperous life than the generation before me and the generation before them. And I can improve myself and my quality of life will be better. I'll be happier. I'll find, I guess, if, if, if you boil that down, it's I find my happiness in resources in things in stuff. stuff. Um, but Christianity is, is kind of completely different to that because i I think i just gently alluded to at the beginning is that all of these things are fleeting but and we as christians live in this world but we're working towards something else what was your question again because i'm going to go with this (laughs) okay well
0: i was saying how would christianity push back on the notion of self-help that that this idea that
1: you can fix yourself absolutely so i mean i think that's the american understanding i I, I, myself am a product of it yeah is that I'm able to pick myself up by my bootstraps. I can do this. I'm empowered. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to achieve these goals. But none of that really takes into consideration the human condition and the fact that we are who we are. We're we're souls who are descendants of Adam and Eve. We're, We're people who are descendants of the fall. And so we're just completely imperfect. So. I think maybe if you want to just answer the question on the surface level, can I can I improve myself? Can I pick up a Napoleon Hill—that's uh, a, that's a David sort of reference there—book <laughs> from the bookstore and make myself better in area? Sure, absolutely. Um, but to what end? Right? Yeah, yeah. Can can I actually make myself good? That's that's probably another really question, and philosophical. But right. um, but how do you define make yourself better? Are we talking about just sort of this temporal? life we live in now, or are we talking about the alternative to living a life where we conform ourselves to Christ to achieve something much, much, much greater where the ultimate end of that is we are conformed to him and we live in eternity with him forever into the ages of ages. But I guess maybe on the surface we could make ourselves better. Yeah, in certain ways. I I I would stop all the bad habits I have, maybe replace them with good things, but I... You know, I know myself. I know my patterns. I would think that probably wouldn't be a, a complete 100% job. I would replace some of those bad things with another bad thing.
0: Yeah. I just I think I would. That's how I, I mean, in yeah. my own experience, like trying to actually, uh, I mean, growing up, I grew up in the church, pretty much took away that the Christian life is just basically trying to be a good person, right? Um, and I worked, I, th- I honestly thought I was a pretty good person. And so I worked hard at that. And uh, what I began to see was actually that there's a whole other crevice of side of my heart that had all sorts of sin to it, like pride. I thought was, I was basically better than other people, right? And so um, this is one of those aspects of, the, the, I think the question is that you can get at certain behaviors, right? We can attack uh, and try to improve our, our tongue. We can speak with kindness. We can do these sorts of things. Um, We can, you know, maybe root out uh, a a certain other, if it's not speech, then maybe an action that we don't necessarily like. But the Christian faith says that at root, all of us have a heart that is ever since, as you alluded to, Adam and Eve, ever since the fall, we've been born with this natural inclination to make ourselves into God and to do uh, prone towards what we think is good, which is not always what God says is good. So is the... Can we actually do some good things? Can non-Christians do good things? I think we would absolutely want to say those who aren't Christians can do. um, They're probably kinder and gentler in in many ways than than a lot of the Christians, including myself, sometimes. Um, But when it comes to if life is all about having this relationship with God, every single person is in dire straits. Nobody can actually restore that relationship to God. We can't actually get to the the goal that we were made for. And so the Christian faith says instead of self-help, it's actually God himself who comes down, takes on flesh, and then takes that first step to reestablish this relationship. And the, the kind of scandalous thing in the Christian message is that God actually, by the Holy Spirit, comes to take up residence in your heart. You're made totally new from death to life, and you have the Holy Spirit who raised Jesus from the dead living in you. That's a pretty... For me, when I heard that, it totally changed. All right, right, we're not playing around with just trying to be a good person anymore. This is now something of a different order altogether. This is a relationship with God who's got inestimable power that now is at work in me and it's changing me. And I think this is where... um, I wanted to really specifically ask you about Sundays because, you know, for a lot of my life and a lot of folks I talk with, it's like, well, church, it's nice, especially post-COVID, like, I can tune in online and still pretty much get everything out of it, right, that I, that I would if I showed up. And what I wanted to do was actually try to fit this notion of um, what we were made for, this relationship with God, and, and, and being able to um, develop in our lives towards becoming more and more like Jesus by the power of God's Spirit in our hearts. Sundays are very important to that end. Um, What would you say is maybe one or two things that's happening on kind of a a subconscious, subterranean level in our hearts when we gather together to worship on Sundays as Christians? That's a
1: a deep question, my friend. Um, it's theology on tap, bro. It is theology on tap. Let's some <laughs> theology, but I think you hinted on something that I really want to kind of go off on was the idea that God takes residence in ourselves, which maybe is not earth-shattering to you, but I think in the course of knowing the story of God at work in the course of human history is really important because we, we we've come from the Old Testament where people worshipped at a place, at this holy site, where God came from the Ark of the Covenant to the temple and he was present in this place. And then when God comes incarnate in the person of Jesus Christ, he tells us that we will worship him in spirit and truth and not necessarily in a place, therefore he and his spirit take residence in us, earth shattering. So we're the fulfillment of something that is just so historic and great. And so we are the inheritors of all of that here on 2023 and what, what we have, I mean heck, the, one of the greatest commandments is and I think it's often overlooked in this day is to keep the Sabbath day holy and so God's commandment to us is really to gather to worship but it's nothing comes to mind but that often heard trope is we, we probably have these relationships with family and friends who you know, I don't know what their spirituality may be classified as, but you know, I I worship and I worship God, but they don't go to church. But you know, I I worship God and I don't need to go to church. But that's just such a that's just such a faulty understanding of Christianity and what especially we learn through the New Testament and St. Paul tells us is that you know, we're just not solo agents to worship God unto ourselves, but we need each other. We're parts of a body. And when we gather together, and so we're, we're biased. We have this beautiful, tall steeple behind us that we worship with in, if you go to St. Philip's on Sunday, um, that you know, was built 200 years ago, and its history is even older than that, where you know, decades and decades and decades of praises of the people of God have just echoed through the rafters and ascended to the heavens, and God is not definitely present in all of that. I mean, this is something historic that we've inherited. And uh, what was your question? I got, i sorry, I had this so point I great. wanted to make, but remind me of the
0: question because I'm going to come back to it. Well, let me let me jump in because you said something that I thought was pretty, neat. you yes. went off on this whole notion that the, the church on Sunday is actually a fulfillment of the Old Testament temple, which is, I think, kind of a crazy thing you think about it, This is a specific place, right? And this was like where God dwelt and his people always came there. And I think growing up, a lot of people said, This is God's house, right? Like, wherever you go to church, that's God's house. You alluded to it. That's not actually the case. God's house, according to the New Testament, is the people of God when they gather together. That's a great answer, first and foremost, to my question, which was, uh, what's actually happening on kind of a subconscious level on Sundays? And the verse that came to mind was 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul's writing to the Corinthian church and he's telling them that they've got a lot of problems in Corinth. One of them was sexual immorality was rampant. And he tells them uh, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside of the body, but sexual immorality uh, is, is a sin against your own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own. You were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. And a lot of folks think immediately like, oh, my, my my physical body is what he's talking about. Actually, well, it's it's that, but the the body in the New Testament is referring to the people of God gathered together. He's talking to the church to honor God in your gathered corporate worship in in your body, so to speak. But um, I thought that was worth talking about. But how about, how about this? When you, I mean, what's the difference between what you do, which is. You know, you you help people. You do something I could never do, which is make people sing and uh, make a joyful noise that sounds good. Um, good luck with that ever trying to do that with me. But um, what's the difference between that and say, like, a concert that you do anywhere else with any other instruments you play?
1: Well, it's, a, it's definitely a difference of perspective, and I I think. I really have an appreciation for my friend Brian, who sits in this chair, because at least he's able to remember the questions that are asked of him <laughs> and he can answer them. And I'm just like, "Hey, what'd you say?" It's all good. I just said some stuff. And what did you ask of me, by the way? Yeah. yeah. Here we are. It's all um, right. You you do remember this question, though. What's my? What's name? the difference between playing a concert? Oh, <laughs> nah, uh, you're good. Yeah. So it's just a difference of perspective, and and I think as we was as we just echoed that, you know. We're worshiping God, but it's it's not that, that God is at 142 Church Street, right. and we gather in the space because He's in there, and we're going to do our thing that we do on Sunday mornings. But um, the di- the difference is is that we're commanded by God to worship Him, and we thought, I mean I think if you've spent time on this Christian walk, that actually giving worship, which is sort of a modern anglicization of worth-ship the old English ascribing worth and value to something is, is, is you're giving something up but at the same time in our context we, we read scripture we pray we administer the sacraments we can unpack that later if we need to um, but we do all these things and we come out maybe I'm alone in this but I don't think so more filled than when you walked in, but yet you gave something up. So it's this transaction between God and us where we're giving of ourselves. And it also, I mean, I didn't say earlier, is that it's prayers, it's preaching, it's sacraments. But I mean, the offering plate gets passed as well. So we're giving of our resources, our time, our talents, our treasures. Um, So I think that's much different in the context of that setting than just having a concert, when that could be, you know, a classical music concert or a, a contemporary Christian band concert. I mean, worship is, is great, and sometimes those concerts are sacred music. Sometimes they're not. Um, but whenever the the corpus of the body of Christ is gathered together, something special is happening there because God inhabits the praises of His people. And I think you can pull that to fruition um, through the sacraments, especially when we celebrate Holy Communion. That's just another level of the church, they're gathered present in... I mean, we have the word preached, and we have Christ present in body and blood, so just it's just different levels, and all of them are good. I think concerts are good, Yeah. but each one of them has a place, and there's a different perspective for each of those, and I think, you know, we really haven't offered many concerts at St. Louis, unfortunately, but I'm going to change that, <coughs> Okay. coming this yeah. fall.
0: Well, that's, I mean, the way I can think about it is, you know, I'm a preacher, and so I can think about, like, when I give a message, quote-unquote, on Sunday, you know, I, I kind of cringe at that term always. Is that this is the message. Well, it's the proclamation of God's word, right? That's, the, that's what preaching actually is. You're coming not to hear my thoughts or any other preacher's thoughts. You're coming to hear God's word to you. And so insofar as what I have to say matches with what God has said in his word, then yes, it's going to be fruitful, right? And um, so the analogy is like a TED talk versus a sermon. Those are so, it's more than just a matter of perspective. Like you alluded to, um, you know, reading and hearing God's word, prayers, uh, the sacraments. All of these are what's called means of grace. Ever heard of that term before, means of grace? There's a... The whole point of what we're saying is that Christianity offers grace, which fundamentally is different than self-help. Grace is what changes the human heart by the power of the Holy Spirit. So when we come to gather on Sundays to worship God, He's, as you said, calling us to empty ourselves in some way, but to take up and be filled more than we could ever imagine so that we're actually, in some crazy sense, developing towards what He's made us to be. Which is which is incredible, and so let's talk. You know, hearing God's word, it's His word spoken. It's His her. It's word preached that in the in the Bible it brings life out of death. That's what preaching is. It's not making good people better or bad people better. It's about bringing life from death. I think about the valley of dry bones in Ezekiel. This is preaching that brings life. The sacraments are a physical reminder. It's a physical. Um, Incarnate, you know, being able to hold on the promises of God, that that Word of life, this is something that we can smell and touch, even taste in Holy Communion. Uh, and so, I think when you view what's going on at church, is we're coming to be nourished, to live this life that we were meant to live. And sometimes it's going to it's going to mean emptying ourselves, but it's definitely going to mean progressing on towards uh, what God's made us. be and to be about. So hopefully that has maybe changed the way or or helped flesh out what you think is going on during church. Hopefully it's encouraged you uh, that if you're a Christian, you're part of the living temple of God by his Holy Spirit. And when you gather with other Christians, there's a supernatural thing that's going on in this gathering of God's people. So um, it's probably a good place to stop and, and open it up to questions. Who's doing the questions tonight?
1: Hey, there he is.
0: Lucas, thanks. So why don't you all take a minute, look at the questions, ask some like those that uh, you see there, give them a thumbs up if you want those asked, and Lucas is going
1: to pose those to us. I, th- I, I think yeah, we kind of accidentally stumbled upon this, but I, I, it's it's actually the prayer that I'd like to pray in front of you know some of the leadership of the worship ministries of St. Philip's where we... we we have our, our surface service. Is that, you know, Lord, will you please empty us of ourselves, um, of our sinfulness, of our wretchedness, of the the results of the fall? We didn't even get to talk about it. We didn't even do. I brought no, Augustine. No, 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 no. Augustine Pelagius was going to be a lot of fun. But we're we're going right to get nerdy there. for a second, but that didn't happen. Maybe somebody right. can ask a question about Maybe. Augustine or Pelagius. Maybe. I'll answer All right. it. Okay. <laughs> but my my prayer is that we are emptied of these things so that we can be filled with the things that we're about to receive. And it's so multifaceted. Just, I mean, I grew up in a tradition that was not unlike what we do on a, on a, on a weekly basis. Um, but there was a point in my life where, where I realized what was happening. It was definitely, it was not a self-help moment. It was God moving in me through his spirit. Because he never promised that we would have to do these things by ourselves. He would inhabit us to, to, to lead us along the way because we're helpless. Yeah. And uh, now to look back being filled with God's goodness and grace and to look what happens when we gather for worship and we empty ourselves to be filled with those good things, it's life-giving. And I don't know, not to sound trite, but I think it's fun. Yeah. It's fun. Yeah. I mean, if, if What's this is if
0: this is what we were made for, to become live a, for this. more like God, what could be more exhilarating than actually going to the training ground. I love, we didn't talk about that, but like church is the training ground where we become more like God himself. And uh, I think if people approached it that way, we, you know, you don't go to the gym one or two times a year and think you're going to become all of a sudden the Hulk, right? Like you go to church. Maybe you don't. Maybe. I, I don't. Maybe you do. I don't. Know. But, Clearly. Uh, yeah. <laughs> if you approach, all right, this is a lifelong training and church is the main way when we gather together with God's people. That we're we're exercising the muscles of of spiritual development. So, how are we how are we doing on questions, Lucas? We got quite a few. Okay, testing. All right, number
1: one. How do we know the difference between a godly view of productivity and a worldly view of productivity?
0: Yeah, a godly view of productivity and a worldly view. So, the the main thing is going to be what so if you could step back and summarize everything tonight, is Christianity says a couple of things. It gives what is the ultimate goal worth striving for, right? And so what is your productivity for? What's it it trying to strive to gain, right? And I think that's the first thing, that godly productivity is going to be striving after God and his way. So you have to know what his word says about um, his will for your life. He's revealed that. Uh, specifically the Ten Commandments, but also uh, throughout the the entire Bible, you see God's revealed will for your life. And uh, godly productivity is first and foremost setting out towards that end. It's that goal. Um, And in general, I, I think you alluded to this, but it's making much of God, and usually it's not looking for admiration um, aspiration for yourself. If that's a byproduct, usually that's a good thing, but pride can subtly sneak in everywhere. And so, looking first and foremost, um, what's, my, what's my end goal? What's my motivation for striving, for, for trying to produce this thing? Is it in accordance with God's word? Um, and is it to the right motive? Like, am I trying to make myself look good? Or am I really trying to do this to, to love God and serve other people? Do you add yeah, anything? I more? don't
1: think I have anything different. Uh, different perspective to add here, but it's, it's the question I would ask myself is okay. Well, what are the ends? Of? I mean, the Christian's perspective should be you know we're looking for the fulfillment of life with Christ, and so to gain the things of earth, but to lose the things of heaven. To go- a gospel analogy, is sort of what Jesus puts forward to us as to be wealthy, and I mean I, you can measure that in any way of success or, or, or productivity, I guess. Um, But, I mean, just, I think that the Christian's ultimate perspective needs to be that of a Christian worldview. We are running a race that is a marathon towards the end goal. And I think if you take whatever specifics you have and just sort of put them on the map with knowing that I'm running a long race towards eternity with my Lord. And, I mean, I think that helps you shape whatever specific circumstances being asked in a much more... Wholesome, legitimate Christian manner. Can you touch on the relationship of diet slash exercise with self health, but also considering our body as a temple?
0: Yes. Oh, that's great. Actually, so I'm really excited. The next couple weeks, we're going to specifically um, look at the topic of like health and the body and stuff like that. We've got some special guests coming. So uh, just to touch on this, though, um, what would I say about? Can you repeat that part again? The see, I don't you're not see the, you one, this you're time. Not you the this only time. one the uh, questions.
1: I want to touch on our relationship of diet slash exercise yeah. with self help.
0: That's right. So uh, again, and, and honoring God with your body. And so I, I wouldn't want to say that that Corinthians verse that I that I read earlier has nothing to say about the human body. I, I think it certainly does. Like we're individually members of. The corporate body of Christ, the church, uh, but we all have physical bodies. That you know, unlike the Greek world, which saw the body as bad and the spirit as good, the Christian faith says actually um, both body and soul were are, are, are good. The immaterial and the material are good. And so, uh, honoring God with your body is a, a really important thing. How you actually eat, how you um, what you consume, what you put into your body, like. Uh, one of the most convicting things I've ever thought about, I was doing full-time college ministry, and every time I'd meet with somebody, it'd be over coffee. And I had probably like six cups of coffee a day. And I was like, I think I'm putting coffee in like a machine, you know, or like gas into a car, and that is killing me. Uh, I shouldn't do that. And you can think about all sorts of things, alcohol or, um, you know, unhealthy food. Like, we actually are called to, well, well, everything that you and I have, is a gift from God, including our bodies, and so we're meant to actually steward them. We're we're managing them on God's behalf, right? And so I think that's really important when we think about our physical body. Like again, it's that I feel like this is going to be a common uh, theme on a lot of the questions: is what's the end goal? Is it so that I can be attractive, so I can gain the attention of other people, or is it to actually honor God? That's going to be the key difference in self-help versus trying to
1: be obedient and following Jesus, if that makes sense. Sure. Yeah, I mean I think just to also add to that okay. wonderful that that we just discussed earlier that we've got to this revolutionary idea that God isn't in a place. He's not worship there. He's actually present in us and he dwells in us through the Holy Spirit. And so I think that just inherently means that there is value to our mortal bodies. If, if God is present in us, then these are worth something. And I'm the last one that should be talking about these sorts of things, but, um, or maybe the first one, depending on how you want to go with that. Right, I don't know. Thank you. Uh, but I mean, it's just the, the importance of, of, of keeping yourself in, in a healthy state is, 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 is I think, respectful towards the goodness, and this is even, you know, the reality before the fall, that that God made us, because the creation narrative is that, you know, he did form us in flesh and bone, and he declared it good, and so if we're not in a state diet exercise that we're, you know, not in a healthy state, I think that, you know, depending on how far you want to go, could be disrespectful to that in which the Holy Spirit dwells, and not to make an idol of that, because I think you can go, I think that that can be a place where you can go too far. But I think it's cognizant to view things in that frame of perspective. Yeah, yeah I mean, we talked like, he can, he's talking about sex in 1 Corinthians 6,
0: about, like, not uniting your physical parts of your body with a prostitute, because that would be um, outside the covenant of marriage, and you wouldn't want to unite the Holy Spirit who's inside of you with uh, something that is clearly sinful, right? And so the same thing would be true not just with the material, but also, like, your mind. Like the the thoughts of your heart, you know, emotions, right? Like we need to bring not just our diet and our physical bodies, but even our our emotions, our experiences, our thoughts in conformity, thinking and reminding ourselves that God is in fact um, with us and in us. And, and us. I
1: know we're going to hear a lot more about this in the coming weeks. And so we have some real experts on the subject. I'm like, not me. I'm really looking forward yeah, to being with you. Yeah, yeah, right, yeah absolutely. There's a fresh perspective I'm really looking forward to. Me too. What's next? How do the
0: spiritual disciplines fit into this idea of self-help slash worship? Yeah.
1: Presumably meditation. Yeah.
0: Things like that. That's a great question. And that's kind of what, I mean, we're playing around with the the word self-help here. But, like, the idea that there are things that we are called to do, the spiritual disciplines being some of those, that are actually designed... uh, through through I mean, their spiritual disciplines, right? So prayer, fasting, uh, meditation, reading God's word—they're not the end goal in themselves. It, it, it's not just like making yourself hurt for the sake of it. It's actually always these things are designed. And I'm thinking of like fasting in particular, but or like um, depriving yourself of anything, right? America today is like, why would you do that at all? You know, but the point of of all the spiritual disciplines. Are not to empty you for the sake of emptying you. They're to fill you up with more of Jesus and and His life and His power in your life. So prayer, you're you're communing, you're having a, a conversation, you're relating to to God Himself, and, and you're hearing in the Word of God when you read it, when you talk about it with others. You're actually receiving more of that life-giving power in your uh, in your soul. So I, I do think there's a place for the spiritual disciplines in you know, What I was saying earlier is like you can kind of say Christianity is the most self-help thing ever, except it's not you doing it. It's God at work in you. Uh, but it's very much pro your development, what you are made to be and how to flourish in your life. So spiritual disciplines are a great thing. Um, again, we have to go back to that uh, kind of uh, asterisk of actually it's, it's not just what's, what's the motive that you're doing these things for, right? So if you're doing them You know, I I can think of when I was a kid, like, I would just say the Lord's Prayer before going to bed out of habit and out of, like, honestly, I can remember the fear of not saying it. Because if I didn't, God wouldn't, like, do his end of the bargain in my life kind of thing. I was, like, 10. I don't know. So, like, that was the thing that was always going on in my life is, you know, spiritual discipline. need to pray. Well, that's not actually helpful at all. The motivation for why you're doing these spiritual disciplines is incredibly important. It's not God's going to do his end when I do my end. But I want to know more of this living God who actually knows every hair on my head and knows my life better than I do. And there's deep life that can be had in those. So hopefully that answered it. Would you, oh, my gosh, what was that? Something just landed on you.
1: <laughs> Yeah, what was that? I don't know, but Actually, it's right there on your, your yeah, leg. What, what? What? was that? I don't know. It's in I my had hair. some. Yeah,
0: it's all good. Just keep going. What? What's the question?
1: <laughs> I don't know. There's no way you can come back from that. Sorry. I would take issue with what you said, though. Spiritual disciplines. What Actually, did I say? I, I mean, I think, I think that to to think that you saying the Lord's prayer as like this tit for tat thing with God was was fruitless. I don't think so. Maybe not. Fearless. I think your perspective's absolutely right. I'm just, I'm just I'm nitpicking here, but I think, you know, God is not powerless in these right. circumstances where you're just doing this out of obligation because yeah. I don't know what happened to you after that. Yeah, yeah. I've completely I a rebel, I've, I've never gone into yeah, ministry or anything. no. So, what, what biker gang are you in by the way? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, thanks, Chris. You're welcome. No, but I think that's a good point.
0: It's like God uses even our imperfect motives, even our imperfections to work things that we could, better than we could ever imagine. So the fact that I still remember that is only helping me pray yeah. with proper motives. No. Absolutely. for yeah. your point's
1: right. Yeah. Thanks.
0: And I don't know any biker games. I think I was supposed to give something to that, but what's us
1: just move on. That was pretty That's good. Fine. What's the next one? Whatever. Does, uh, does the parable of the talents in Matthew 25 speak to how we should view temporal goods slash success?
0: Yeah. I might have to look it up. Matthew 25, the parable of the talents. Which,
1: Is, what's the half, second half of that? Yeah. Does this parable speak to how we should view temporal goods slash success?
0: So, uh, that's a very long parable.
1: So, uh, I'm just going <laughs> to go
0: ahead and tell you what... From what I can recall from it, basically, there's uh, a master who gives. I believe, gosh, this is terrible. I'm failing my Bible knowledge here. Whoever knows this parable should talk to me afterwards. But they had shuffles. Yeah. So uh, was it one, five, and ten? Maybe is that what the, the, a talent was? A unit of money, right? It was. A, it was a lot of money. And so I think one talent was like a whole year's wage. And so one of them had one, five of them, or one guy had five. One had. 10 talents given to him as uh, this idea of stewardship, right? That they were entrusted from their master with this money and the one with 10 invested it, got 10 back. The one with 5 invested it, got 5 back. The one with 1 was scared, hit it and then his master showed up. Am I I getting this right? I think this is right. Gosh, I hope it is right, but it sounds pretty close. We're going to double check this at the end. Victoria gave me a thumbs up so I think it's right. All right. But the point is, is uh, it's, I think it's mainly about what are we doing with God that's given to us. It's less about the rewards, um, because I, I believe at the end of the parable, the master invites the faithful servants to share in his joy and in his celebration. It's not so much about like, oh, because you've done your part and you've doubled your money, now uh, you can have more money. It's actually... The, the point of the parable is about are we being faithful with what God has given us, right? So um, how does that inform the prosperity gospel? Is that what the question was? Man, Brian remembers every question. I, I, I,
1: how I, does it speak to how we should view temporal goods or success? Yeah,
0: so again, it goes back. Temporal goods, they're a good thing. God gives us what, you know, it's, seek first the kingdom of God, and this is the summation of the greatest sermon ever preached, the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, focus on the kingdom of God, and your Father who is in heaven will provide for what you need. What we need and what we want are very different things, particularly in America today. So uh, temporal goods are, by necessity, something that we need. And you're, you have a heavenly Father who loves you and who's actually going, who sees you exactly where you are and is going to provide what you need. Uh, when we make these things into ultimate things, is when we can go astray. All right, I butchered that. Can you can you help me? Well, out? I
1: mean, I think yeah, so. All all things come from God. I mean, He's the Creator of all things. And so, how do we reconcile that there are people who, in this world, um, in every part of the world, who have concentrated <coughs> amounts of resources that are very wealthy, and they probably or or are Christians, or not, or very much so not Christians. And so do we have to think, is, is it God that's giving them those things specifically? But that aside, if you're a Christian and you have those resources, um, uh, I think that the, to, to drop from the point of the parable of the talents is, what are you doing for his kingdom that he has given? And so, you know, if, I, if I'm not from Pennsylvania and I didn't move here, you know, 10 years ago and that I have one of those Charleston last names and I, my, you know, I've been here for 300 years and you know, all of the things that come with that and maybe I have some resources to build the kingdom of God. My resources are different, they just, just are. And so we're sort of judged as upon what the Lord gives you. And so as so were the people who buried the talents or invested the talents, is the end of that parable. I mean, I think, it's, 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 what, what did these things I give you do to build my kingdoms, right? Uh, well, this, this past Sunday, we heard uh,
0: in the gospel, uh, the, one of the readings in, in church was the um, multiplication of the loaves and the fishes, right? It was a little boy's lunch. <laughs> it was a meager... Uh, five little biscuits and two fish. Sardines. Sardines, sorry, not even fish. Even right? worse. And God took this little boy's lunch and multiplied it to feed thousands. And so I think that is very similar to the parable right? of being faithful with maybe it's very little, right? But trusting God with all that you have your temporal goods, your emotional, relational life all of that, seeking to be obedient to him
1: um, and he's going to give you what you need. That is what I take from him. So, not related to any of that. What do you think about next week, next, not two weeks, like we just get all sardine pizza? I don't think anybody would. It, like, just the smell of sardines in here. Is that,
0: is that not cool? I think I'm getting a lot of nose. So, yeah, we're not doing that. All right, well, I'll Sorry. give up on that. I one. thought this might be like the sardines can be served on the roof <laughs> everybody everybody go go I don't even know if they have sardines. give on that. Giovanni. Shout out to Giovanni. Thank you. He's the man.
1: Can you explain the theological differences between Catholicism and our church?
0: Well, I don't know what our church is, but I can say the Anglican church. Um, the theological differences. Well, the biggest one, I mean, this is not, sum up the Protestant Reformation in like two minutes uh, while keeping everybody awake. So um, basically it comes down to the issue of authority. The Protestant Reformation, which was started by Martin Luther, uh, recognized that when the, the Pope claimed uh, infallibility, that he was the, the bishop above all bishops, right? And I would say in the Anglican Church, our government is, is not the same thing as the Catholic government, right? But at the end of the day, um, all bishops are equal to themselves. There's a, a hierarchy, a hierarchy, a hierarchy, nice. how about that, uh, hierarchy in the Catholic Church, but also the notion of, and the difference between the Protestant Church and the Catholic Church has to do with where does the ultimate authority lie, not just in its governance, but how does it relate to the Word of God? Where does the Bible fit in with authority? The, the mantra of the Reformation was the Bible was the highest authority. It didn't mean we, we forget all of what church history has said going, going before, but that's not on the same level, right? Our reason, our church history is not on the same level. It's the, the lens through which we should understand the scriptures, but the highest authority, there's no higher authority than God himself. And if he has spoken in his word, that's the highest authority. So I think in, in a nutshell, that's probably the biggest theological difference I would say there's sacrament differences as well, but you get it. that's a
1: long topic. What is the question? The I whole hear? what is the <laughs> difference? <laughs> <Or> time <what laughs> uh, we've had to ask the <laughs> theological difference between catholicism I've, and I've got three brain cells, man. Too. Just give me You're a break. Um, the uh, theological, uh, difference. like this. So <laughs> I mean, I would just to, to to basically make the same point as you. As I would say, the, the difference. Our view would be is that Anglicanism one is Catholic. So we would acknowledge that the question is, is asking the Catholic Church, but we would say we're part of it's that. Yeah, it's That's a specific yeah. part of the Catholic Church, which we would also claim to be part of, but they're still separate. Um, Catholic maybe large you know, okay. C, little C thing. We can get into that later. But, um, but I would say that our perspective is, is it's more, we're a Reformation Church. We're part of the English Reformation, Thomas Cranmer, et cetera, et cetera. Henry the yeah, Eight, I've heard it. Um, but we're a reclamation of apostolic order. And I think that our argument would be is that the way we have reformed our church has been probably more in line with that of the apostles. And our, <coughs> that's not the, only the, 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 that our, we're, we're led by bishops, our ecclesiology, we, we have authority, but we also rest a, a, a tremendous amount on the authority of the word of God Intention with the authority of those God has given us as leaders. That's right. Um, yeah, and there's some difference with sacraments. We can talk about that, but that's that's probably a longer longer conversation. I love by and
0: I mean, we open our doors at St. Philip's all the time. We'll have people come in and they'll see me in a collar and they're like, "What's this Catholic church called?" And I'm like, "Actually, it's uh, it's not Catholic. I'm
1: married." Every Thank you. And they're like, single, "Whoa, what?" Uh, Every single tour group.
0: Yeah, it's, it's unbelievable. But so that, all that's to say is that like, actually there's a lot of similarities in the, the style and what it looks like. The Anglican Church kept a lot of the um, traditions of the church universal, the, the Catholic Church is what uh, we were saying. So it, it didn't throw everything away and start from scratch, which some other Protestant traditions did. They just said, all right, we're going to only use the Bible. The Anglican Church uh, tried to keep at least a lot of the what worship was like, but differed in a lot of, as you said so well, going back to the apostolic doctrine and teaching, so,
1: yeah. But to give a shout out to our closest cousins, because we do love them. That's right. Yeah. All Christians. Yep. To keep the Sabbath holy, should we not go out to eat after church, since we're making people work on the Sabbath? That's all you, meant. Oh, man. You don't want to take that one? <laughs> um, yeah, I'll, 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 I'll follow up. So yeah. the
0: Pharisees asked very similar questions to this, uh, to Jesus. And Jesus would... <laughs> what Jesus' answer was, was, um, you know, he and his disciples, they'd be walking in a field, and they'd pluck grain, or they'd heal somebody on the Sabbath, and they would do good on the Sabbath. Uh, and the Pharisees who got really, really angry uh, at Jesus because... He was breaking all of their man-made rules. the The command to not to keep the Sabbath holy, right, is in, is in fact really important. Um, and going out, I, I think this question gets at <laughs> he just realized he left. Um, I hope he comes back. John's here. John's here. Yeah. All right, he's got it. There we go. Um, he's had enough, obviously. So uh,
1: no, no, no,
0: great. I just lost my train of
1: thought. Um, so. Should we go to toast after church? Basically? No.
0: Oh, yeah, yeah. So, no, the, the thing that's really good about this question is that it gets, up, um, it gets at the idea of, like, there's more to the commands of God, especially the Ten Commandments, than just your own individual um, experience. So when I was in uh, seminary, one of the things that was really important is, how do I teach my children what it means to cease from work? Or better yet, what does it mean to give my wife a day off from work? And so uh, what I love in Exodus, when the Ten Commandments are given, where this command, you know, keep the Sabbath holy, it's not just to you, but all of your employees, basically, all of your animals, even. Like, you want to make sure that the the Sabbath, you know, taking a day off of work was an all-encompassing thing. So that I at least really like about this. Uh, Jesus also said that the Sabbath was made for man, uh, not man for the Sabbath. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things that I would say is uh, it's really important, A, to to do the best that you can to show up on the Lord's Day and and to worship, and that's an important part of what it means to, you know, we don't still uh, follow the Sabbath in the same way that Old Testament Israel probably kept the Sabbath and what that looked like, but this whole principle of taking one day out of the work week to stop is really, really important because it's based on what God did himself in creation. And it's also probably one of the most scandalous things that you and I can do today. I'm here on my vacation, technically supposed to be resting, and I, I love you guys too much to stop. So, um, But how many... Yeah, oh, thanks. All three of you. Thank you. Um, but I think all of us on many levels will... We fear putting down our work because our work is what defines who we are. Like, what happens if I don't actually... Produce enough, and um, I think that's the biggest fear. And actually, stopping, putting technology away, putting all the work away, and saying, You know what, it's going to be what it's going to be for today, and I'll resume the next day. Um, And so, I I think that's a really important command that we should honor God with by by stopping a day of the week. It will actually, I, I think, a lot of our anxiety. If we lived more into this commandment of stopping, we would all have a lot less anxiety. But I think to answer the question, which is, can I go to a restaurant and not cause somebody to sin? I think you're safe to go to a restaurant. I would encourage that person who's serving you to take a day off a week, uh, because that's really important. You weren't made to work around the clock all day, every day. Every single human has limits, and we're meant to live into those limits. that's uh, that's, That's part of what flourishing looks like. It's part of what real life looks like, is living
1: into the limits that God has created us with. It was a long way to get to that. But. Yeah, it was. And I'm not sure I'm going to answer the question, but I'm going to say that you know we at least have to acknowledge that we're living in a world that is increasingly less Christian around us. And the culture has less of those fumes of the cultural vestige of blue laws. Like... You know, maybe you can't go to the liquor store on Sunday, but I think that's like about it. I mean, everything else is open on Sunday. You can probably buy a car That'll if you want to. Yeah. What? what? I, I think it'll probably change too if it's not already. Yeah, done. yeah. I mean, they're working on that. that that's and,
0: just yeah. Where it's going.
1: but but, but this, the fact is, is that I mean, Christians are living in a culture that just is. This land is not our home. Or is this the psalm say? We're singing the Lord's song in a foreign land, and it's the way it is. But if we're going to live in that world, then we must carry that with us to reflect that truth of who we are and what we believe to that world so that maybe we can give some of that God's goodness to them and witness to them that you know, we believe in something better than this. And we attest to what God has done for us yeah. and through everything we do. And so maybe that means you can go to brunch at the Yacht Club or toast on after church on Sunday. And you can enjoy the, the Biscuits and gravy with the really nice, creamy white gravy. Like, that's my favorite. <laughs> I'm gonna stop. That's pretty good. Yeah, i yeah. to stop. Yeah. So,
0: Sabbath is a time of worked, celebration. I have do, worked hard so. For this. Yeah. How about one more and then we can close it off? This looks kind of silly. Yes, let's end on a silly one. Thank you. When you
1: play the organ, oh, it's for it's you. For it's, it, it's for me. It getting so many likes, it just moves upward. <laughs> when you play the organ, do you wish you had more hands? Hey. I He's that I, good. I don't think so. I know. I think I just wish that the ones I had worked, for the most part, because the the worst thing, and I shouldn't say this, but I, here we are. Um, if if you go, if you watch the person playing the organ on Sunday, just don't look at their face, because it'll be it'll be it'll be they'll just say everything. Because there's lots of things that happen. There's lots of risks being taken. And a lot of times those don't those don't pan out at all, and it's quite bad. And uh, so just don't watch the face. And if if the hands work, I don't need anymore. I just they just and sometimes they don't. I mean I'm not sure that was an epic answer. That's pretty. But it, I mean, it was
0: the honest one. It's a pretty humble answer. You're really good at playing pretty much every instrument I've ever heard you play. So, um, Chris, thanks for taking the time and coming tonight. I'm really excited for, in two weeks, we'll be back, and the topic is going to be, uh, we're going to have special guest, Jolene Park. She is a specialist in a, a lot of, like, health, diet, nutrition stuff, but she's a Christian who comes to St. Philip's, um, but specifically, we're, we've been here at Henry's for two years, over two years over now. Over two years. Which is amazing, and we're so thankful to Clark, we're so thankful to Henry's and having us, but we've actually never, I don't think, t- I mean, maybe we did one on Mardi Gras. Yeah, we were there. Clark. I know we've done a theology on tap on Mardi Gras and we talked about celebration but we never actually zoomed in on the issue of drinking and I'm really excited to look at the topic of alcohol probably in a way because it always confuses people when the man in the collar has a beer in his hand but I, I do think that it will be a really helpful conversation and hopefully it will surprise maybe uh, a lot of you so do come out in two weeks we'll be back Chris again thank you so much for taking time uh, to be here. You're always here, but to step up to the podium, and and there's no podium, there's a table, but thank you for being here, you're the best. All right, thank you all for coming. There's pizza, we'll be hanging around for a while.